Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. The devil himself is known as what? The father of all lies. The unrighteous run from it, and those who live in and enjoy the darkness, they'd rather believe the lie than the truth. So when you and I, we begin to live our lives as friends of God, and we become vocal in our declaration of that uncompromising Word of God, and we speak about not only His love, but we also speak of His judgment. We speak of His grace and His mercy, but we also speak of His holiness and His righteousness, then we shouldn't be surprised when people don't want to hear us. Truth isn't popular, and if we think about it, how could it be? Since the name of Jesus has never been popular, the truth can't possibly be either. In fact, we know that Jesus identifies Himself as the truth, the way, and the life. So as Pastor David points out, the truth will never sell as well as lies. Worldly people will only want to hear about things that don't challenge their sin. The fact is that the majority hide themselves from the truth because the truth dispels darkness and shines a light on our sin. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Friends Speak the Truth. Some of you know me, some of you know me fairly well, you've been with us a number of years, but uh, you may or may not know the fact that uh, I am not too much on this idea of conspiracy theories, okay? Now, and yet I know that many of you are, okay, okay? As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting as a pastor, the number of times I I get uh, the input of all the conspiracy theories that folks have, and they'll come and share those things with me, and I, I can understand, and I can understand where they're coming from, but uh, I think that there's a whole lot more going you know, on than worrying too much about some of those things. But I want to tell you this morning that there is a conspiracy going on. There really is a conspiracy going on, and that each one of us need to be aware of that. And that's a conspiracy that's being led by the enemy of your souls. And you see that conspiracy comes, and it, what it says to you and I is, shh, you don't have to speak about your faith, you don't need to disturb people with the message of Jesus. All that does is cause conflict between you and others, causes turmoil in the world. Why can't you just have your own personal, quiet faith in Jesus and move on? You see, the conspiracy is, is to keep the ones who should be the proclaimers of the gospel 
very, very quiet. But you know what? I really and truly believe that right now, as we see the world in the way that it is, right now, as much as any time in the past, and perhaps even more than any time in the past, it's time for you and I as believers to be vocal in our witness for Christ. To really speak about the truth of our relationship with Christ. To really talk about the fact that, you know what, I've given my life to Jesus Christ. I'm following Christ. Don't, don't tell me that you're a member of such and such a church or you, you do something here. Be willing to use the name of Jesus. There's a lot of people that say that they follow God and their eternity will not be in heaven because the God that they say that they follow is not the God of the Bible. When you speak the word Jesus, I'll let you know, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be shunned by perhaps lifelong friends. You're going to be shunned by the people at work. Uh, the people in the community are saying, oh, there's another one of those religious freaks. But you know what? We need to be those that remain faithful to the truth. And that's the truth of God, the truth of God's word, and the truth that only in Jesus Christ is their forgiveness of sin, and only in Jesus Christ is their eternal life. Now, we are in the book of Luke. I invite you to take your Bibles, turn there if you would, in Luke, and we're in chapter 12. Today, we're going to begin in verse 4, but in just those short little verses, in verses 1 to 3, we looked at a couple of things. Number one, there was this warning about the hypocrisy of pretending to be religious, when in reality, you weren't. Pretending that you have a relationship with God, when in reality, you don't as well as the warning of truly having a relationship with God and yet keeping it quiet, keeping your lamp hidden, putting it under that bushel basket. Being a hypocrite is wrong either way, whether you're a hypocrite saying you have a relationship with God when you really don't, or being a hypocrite pretending that you don't have a relationship when you're with a certain group of people, when in reality you do have a relationship with Christ. And yet, many within the faith today. They continue to conceal their faith or they limit the declaration of their faith out of fear of what man is going to do to them or what man is going to say or what man is going to think about them. If I declare myself as a Christian and if I blatantly tell my friends or my neighbors or my co-workers, you know what? I am a believer in Jesus Christ. I was born again five years ago, 10 years ago, last week, whatever it might be. If I go out and say that, man, they're going to they're gonna cut me off. I'm no longer going to be part of the crowd. Well, you know what? Part of that crowd needs to hear the reality that somebody has a hope for eternity because somebody's looking, and maybe if you and I were the ones that would speak out that reality and truth in our lives, they'd have somebody that they could come and speak to. Oh, I hate it. And I, I, I hate it when you ask somebody, hey, are you a Christian? Uh, I'm a Baptist. Uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Presbyterian. I, I don't ever want to hear someone ask one of you, are you a Christian? And you say, oh, I go to Calvary Chapel. 
Well, I'm glad that you go to Calvary Chapel, but let them know you're a Christian first, okay? You are a Christian first. You are a born-again believer in Christ first and above all things. But you know what? When you take those stands, there will be persecution. That's just the reality of it. Look with me, if you would, in Luke chapter 12. We're going to continue on in this portion of the study. Jesus speaking to his disciples, to those who are truly his followers. And he's giving them further warnings, further instructions. In chapter 12, verse 4, we read these words. He says, and I say to you, my friends... Don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins and not one of them is forgotten before God? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are of more value than sparrows. Jesus giving this instruction to his disciples. I just want to tell you right now, we are not going to get into that part of the Lord knowing the very number of the hairs on your head. We're, we're not even going to go there. The older I get, the, the more I shy away from that verse. Okay. thing I want to draw your attention to is one of the very first things he says. Friends. My friends. He calls his disciples friends. And you know, in, in the Gospel of Luke, this is the only place in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus uses that word friends to, in speaking to his disciples. And there's only one other place in all the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, well, and in all the Gospels, including John. There's only one other place that Jesus uses that word in referring to his disciples. And that's actually found in John chapter 15, on the night that he was betrayed. A beautiful chapter there. But in John chapter 15, Jesus says these words, Greater love has no man than to lay down his life for what? His friends. And then he says, You are my friends. He speaks to those 12 that are there. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, he also knows that Judas is there. And Judas wasn't one. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. If you ever stop and realize what an amazing thing that is, for you and I as believers in Jesus Christ to be called friends of Jesus. And you know, when we are friends of Jesus, that means we are friends of God. We are friends of God. It's back in the year 1844, and Joseph Scriven, he was 25 years old, living in Ireland. Young man, his whole life in front of him, and uh, he was all excited. He was in love. He was engaged. And the day before his wedding, his fiancée died in a drowning accident. He was heartbroken. He needed a change in life, and so he sailed from Ireland to Canada to begin a new life. And he began a new life in Canada as a teacher, and as things would happen, he fell in love again with one of the relatives of one of his students. 
So as they planned their engagement and their wedding day, as the wedding day approached closer, his fiancée got very, very ill, and she actually died also before they were married. You can only imagine just the heartbreak of this young man and just the tearing of his very soul. It was about the same time that his second fiancée passed away that he got word that his mother back in Ireland was very, very ill and, and close to death, and he couldn't afford to sail back to Ireland, but he wrote her a letter, and one of the other things of uh, Scriven's life was he also wrote poetry, and he included with his letter to his mom one of his poems. It says, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear, and what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. You see, Scriven had a hope and a faith, the reality and the truth, that as a friend of God, God is there to strengthen and encourage, even in the worst and the hardest of times. It was back in 2004, a, a contemporary worship leader, Isaac Houghton, he wrote these words. Who am I that you're mindful of me, that you hear me when I call? Is it true that you're thinking of me? Oh, how you love me. It's amazing. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. Beloved, it's an awesome thing to be called a friend of God. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a friend of God. I state that unequivocally without any other compromise. Because the word of God declares that if you are a believer in Christ, Christ says you're my friend, and as his friend, you are a friend of God. What a fellowship that is. What a relationship that is to be known as a friend of God. Remember, there was one in the Old Testament that was called that, Abraham. Abraham was called a friend of God. And again, just as Jesus encouraged his disciples there on that night that he was betrayed, that truth is just the same for you and I. If we trust in Christ, we are his friends. And as his friends, as we grow in him and as we continue to walk closely to him, he continues to reveal his plans to us and his thoughts to us. Matthew Henry, a commentator of years gone by, he writes these words. Those who by faith live a life of communion with God cannot but know more of his mind than other people. They have a better insight than others into what is present and a better foresight of what is to come. Jesus told his disciples that he would reveal to them the plans. As our friendship with God grows and, and deepens, the Lord reveals to us more and more. But just as Christ had enemies in this world, guess what? You and I as his friends will have enemies in this world. You and I are going to have enemies in this world. Why? Because the scriptures promised it. Now, that, that's not a saying that you put on your uh, kitchen uh, table that you pull out every morning and, and uh, uh, read the promises of God. I don't think it's in that group. But it is a promise of God that if you are one of his disciples, you will have persecution in this world. But thing we need to know. It needs to be so 
mindful in our thoughts. We need to put it on post-it notes. We need to put it on the refrigerator and on the mirror in the bathroom. We need to remember these things. The fact is, is truth isn't popular. You can just put that on your brain. Truth is not popular. As a matter of fact, it's becoming more extinct in our day and time. The politicians shy away from it, or they twist it, or they deny it. The media do all that they can to hide it or to prevent it. The devil himself is known as what? The father of all lies. The unrighteous run from it. And those who live in and enjoy the darkness, they'd rather believe the lie than the truth. So when you and I, we begin to live our lives as friends of God, and we become vocal in our declaration of that uncompromising word of God, and we speak about not only his love, but we also speak of his judgment. We speak of his grace and his mercy, but we also speak of his holiness and his righteousness. Then we shouldn't be surprised when people don't want to hear us. And they say, you know, no, I don't want to hear that. Are you surprised that the world isn't knocking down the door to hear truth? It's the words of a popular movie from years ago when Tom Cruise asked Jack Nicholson. He says, we want to know the truth. And Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. The problem is, is the world doesn't want to handle the truth. They don't want to receive the truth because they know that when the truth is spoken, now they're responsible for it. Jesus came with this gentleness, with this meekness, with this peace and speaking to the people. The multitudes flocked to him. He brought healing into their lives. He, he, he provided deliverance in their lives. He gave forgiveness into their lives. He declared himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. Very narrow-minded. Singular, the way, the truth, the life. And then he began to press people into that need to surrender their lives, to take up their cross daily and follow him, to walk humbly before man and God. And you know what? They ended up crucifying him. Oh, speak to me about the goodness of God and I'll talk to you all day long. Speak to me about the mercies of God and I'll agree with you all day long. But when you start speaking of following Jesus and that I need to take up my cross, I need to deny myself, I need to consider myself dead, oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. You see, that's the way the world is. It's easy to speak about God in the world. You speak about Jesus, that's going to bring conflict. Jesus understood that the greatest temptation for his disciples back then as well as even today is to either compromise the truth or to keep the truth quiet to satisfy the masses and to relieve any persecution on their lives. He knew that the disciples that first century and every century since then would be pressed to hold back the testimony of their lives, to have a very quiet, a very personal relationship with Christ. I'm a silent witness. I'm a secret agent of the cross. Nobody knows. Jesus was well aware of the fact that his followers, if they were faithful to proclaim that truth, if they, if they continued with the message, the reality, and the hope, the full message of the gospel, that they were going to face persecution. On the very night that he was betrayed, he shared with them those words, that in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. 
Jesus knows that the very enemy of your souls is going to do everything that he can to silence your witness to God's grace in your life. But we need to remember, whatever the enemy does to us, whatever this world does to us, it will not, cannot, and it never will invalidate God's work of grace in our lives. See, the enemy can come against us, but the grace of God continues on in our lives. He tells them there in in verse 4, Don't be afraid of those who kill the body, and afterwards they have no more that they can do. But I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. But you know, for the child of God, that, that friend of God, the only thing that Satan can do is limited to this mortal life. All that he can do is limited to just this time. That's why the Apostle Paul gives those great words, those words of confidence, those words of encouragement to the church of Rome when he says, to who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or peril or sword or nakedness? As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. He goes on to say, no, in, in all these things, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our hope. That's our stand. That's the promise of God. And you and I, as friends of God, we need to be bold enough to be able to declare that and not be fearful of what the world will do. Well, they might shun me. Okay. They might say bad things about me. Okay. I can almost guarantee you with 100% certainty that none of you will be crucified for your testimony in Christ. There may come a time, should the Lord tarry, that you and I might be beheaded. We don't know. But there's brothers and sisters of yours and mine who are being beheaded because they dare take a stand. How do we, in the freedom that we have, dare keep silent and pretend that we pray for those who are suffering? Jesus told them, are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you're of more value than many sparrows. Think about this for a moment. God, who is now your friend instead of your judge, is your father instead of just your creator. He cares about you so tremendously. He knows everything about you. He knows everything everything about you. Yeah, even that. He knows everything about you. And yet his love endures. He knows all about you, and yet he still cares so deeply for you. He desires to be involved in every aspect of your life, and he'll stand by your side. He'll stand strong on your behalf. He continues on in verse 8. He says, so I say to you, Whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Open our hearts. 
hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.